0: I was recently speaking down in San Diego. How many know that's a that's a tough place to struggle for Jesus? How many know what I'm talking about, right? And uh, I was speaking at a church in San Diego, and then I did a men's conference on a Wednesday night. and And our kids, all of our kids, Jake and Carmen, and our daughter Janessa, they were all heading down there to get on a cruise ship. And we thought, man, if I stayed, Patty and I stayed one more day, uh, we could overlap and all go to Disney together. Come on now, how many that sounds? really fun let me see your hands how I many that sounds like a nightmare let me see your hands yeah yeah exactly isn't it interesting grandparents raise their hand that sounds fun because you can get your kids the kids back to their parents right everyone well we recently we met at disney and we all went to disney together come on look at them happy faces everybody <laughs> uh, kenny looks pretty happy there doesn't she i mean she is living her best life and uh and, uh, and, and so, we, we you know, when you're at Disney, there's a bunch of people around, and where you know, you got to wait in line, and all of a sudden, she just decides, I'm done. You know, I'm checked out. How many of you have this? I have a four-year-old attention span. Anybody else, right? I'm like, I'm done. I don't care how long I've been waiting. I don't care if I have to give my place up. And she got really sad all of a sudden. And I thought, how could you be sad? We're at Disney, girl. And she was sad because she left who she calls her baby, which is a little worn out stuffed cat everybody and she left baby back at the hotel and she was real sad that baby wasn't with her to wait in line and i'm like well who am i like you know what and and so patty and i decided okay here's what we'll do you know you gotta do you gotta pull out your best tricks to keep four-year-old satisfied how many know right and so patty and i said i tell you what we'll find you a new baby And so Patty and I, we walked all over the park with her. And there's vendors everywhere. We looked at Snow White. No, I don't want Snow White. We looked at all seven dwarves. She didn't want any of the seven dwarves. We looked at every Disney movie and every stuffed animal baby that Disney has ever made. And she didn't want any of them until we came across. And I forgot to ask, is it Nala or uh, Simba? It was little baby Simba. And so we found little baby Simba. Here she is. (laughs) How many know she has me wrapped right around her finger, right? Uh, and, and here she is, and she's as happy as could be. And she didn't let go of Simba the whole day. She didn't let go of Simba the whole night. She didn't let go of Simba in the bed. She didn't let go of Simba the whole time she was gone. And matter of fact, she still snuggles up pretty good with Simba. And, but how many of you can tell? Even though, uh, Jake, you didn't pick the best picture of me. Well, <laughs> I guess that's the best you got to work with. I mean, I don't know. But I, I, despite the picture, I'm pretty happy there, too. And Patty and I are pretty happy there, too. Because we have learned in life there is way more joy in being able to give than there is in receiving. Amen? I would. My feet were pounding. My knees were hurting. But I kept driving her around until she found what she wanted. And the joy of being able just to reach in my pocket. Now, that symbol probably cost a dollar to make. But with Disney add-ons and Disney upmark, it was $500. I just want you to know. So we're going to take a special offering today. No, anyway. uh, So we bought that Simba. And there is something that is so joyous about being able to provide or being able to be generous. This might sound silly, but I have learned in my life that if you live your life with your hands up, you'll receive. But you'll usually only receive on your birthday and Christmas. You'll receive. If you go around in life trying to get and trying to receive something, you're going to receive, but it's usually only one or two days a year. But I have come to learn that with the spirit of generosity, that if we'll live our lives with our hands down, we can literally receive every single day of the year. Right, everybody? I've preached this message before. I haven't really preached it in this form, but I've preached lots of pieces of this message that I want to present to you today. It's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites because it, it really speaks to the subject matter that we're on. It, it speaks to legacy, which today is the kickoff of the of our legacy weekends, and so it speaks to legacy and, and it speaks to the title of this series. It speaks about being a history maker. Now, now, last week you were all on fire about being history makers, and and I hope this week hasn't dashed your dreams, and you still are interested in being history makers. All right, some of you are. So uh, here's what I know, though, in life. I know that we will never be history makers without a little bit of sacrifice. We'll never be history makers without driving all over Disney World and looking for a little baby. How I many you know what I'm saying, right? We'll never be history makers if we don't live outside of ourselves and have some generosity in our life. And, you know, sacrifice... Sacrifice is not really something that you hear much preached anymore. Sacrifice is not one of those messages that we're hearing a lot in modern day churches. Uh, there's more messages on how to be blessed and how God wants to give to you and how this is your best life and all of those kind of things. And usually when I mention sacrifice, we usually get these images of blood sacrifice in the Old Testament and the high priest making sin offerings and it's a real totally Old Testament thing but that's not what I'm talking about today because sacrifice is also required it's required also not just in the Old Testament but sacrifice is required as Christ followers even in the New Testament Oh, come on. I know some of you already want to argue. Well, Jesus was the sacrifice. That's right. He was the sacrifice. And we don't sacrifice to get to heaven. But Jesus himself said that if we're going to follow him, we must be willing to. Come on, you know it. Take up our cross and be blessed. No, no, I think it says take up our cross and daily die to ourselves to be followers of Christ. That's just not a popular message. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if you'll be back next Sunday after hearing a message like this because it's not popular in our culture. But I want, to talk, I want to say to you that when God starts speaking to us about sacrifice, God is not trying to get something from us. God is trying to get something to us. Oh, and it's only when I become less through sacrifice that he can become so much more. It's when I die to self that I make room for the things and the provisions that God has for me in my life. Come on, can I get anybody here to agree with that or at least act like you agree with that, right? <laughs> sacrifice. It's a, it's a hard message to preach. Uh, uh, the definition of it is this. Sacrifice. Sacrifice, the surrender of something for the sake of something else. I've already talked to you about it multiple times already today. I ask you to surrender some information on a connection card so that maybe you could get some information back. There's a a sacrifice. There's a rhythm. There's a reciprocity to that. There's a take and there's a give. I I talked to you about sacrifice when I said, hey, next weekend is going to be feed the multitudes and we're going to bust in people. And if you would like to sacrifice some time, if you'd like to sacrifice your Sunday afternoon, if you'd like to sacrifice your seat, Hawks game. According to last week, you weren't missing much anyway. <laughs> and if you would, yeah, come on, I'll preach that. All right. So, and, and so if you're willing to sacrifice or surrender, you might do some good in another area of our life. Isn't that what Christians are called to do? Come on. I said, isn't that what Christians are called to do? So I want to, I want to propose that God is He shows up, watch this, at the place of sacrifice. That's where he shows up. I'm going to show you this through scripture today. And then I'm going to ask you what area of your life might God be challenging you to say no to so that you can say yes to something greater. See, once a year we ask you to pray about what we call a legacy offering. Now, for those of you that are new or around here, we're going to celebrate our six-year birthday here in just a couple more months, not even a couple more months. The first of January, we'll be six years old. And since we started, we had a year under our belt. We met in a coffee shop and started building the team. And, and not one time did we ever ask for an offering. We didn't ask you to make faith promises and pledges. And we didn't do any of that. We just believed that God wanted to build his church. But once a year we come and we ask you to pray about what we call a legacy offering. And it's something above and beyond your regular giving. Or uh, some of you might use the term, it's above and beyond your regular tithing unto God. It's it's really, it's a sacrifice. Now, I believe... A tithe is what I owe God, but my sacrifice offering is something above and beyond that. That's a whole other message. I won't confuse you with that. But I do want to tell you, and I want you to know what your faithfulness in giving has already done and what your faithfulness in giving this year, what it will help us do. I hope you're interested in that. We take the legacy offering, and we do that very thing. We want to build and live a legacy, not just for this generation but for the generations to come. We want to be light in a dark world and we want to be salt in the world. Come on are you guys here with me today? See everything's exciting when we're dunking people underwater but when we start talking about money it gets quiet in the place. How many know what I'm saying right? Here's what we've been doing because of your faithfulness and giving. We break that into three what we call three lanes of our legacy offering. Uh, Number one it's the local and so there's some things that we do locally. Um, and, and I want you to know that we love Skagit Valley. And we believe that God loves Skagit Valley. And we believe that God hasn't given up on Skagit Valley. Come on. I know some of you have been here long enough that this little tulip town, it used to smell like tulips, and now it smells like weed. I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? (laughs) Uh, I mean, I understand, everybody. It's changed, and it's not the little neighborhood that you grew up in, but maybe God has you here, come on, for such a time as this. Maybe God is raising up this people for such a time as this, and God is always interested in people, watch this, and He's always interested in cities. He cares about Mount Vernon, everybody. He cares about Burlington. He cares about the surrounding areas. And and so if we're going to be here, we might as well embrace why God has allowed us to be here. Here's a couple of things. Just since we've been keeping record over the last couple of years uh, so far, just in the last couple of years, we've given away 1,211 pair of shoes. Come on, everybody. Yeah, that's right. I don't know how this works, Valerie, but we've given away 1,920 pair of socks. That means there's some people running around with socks and no shoes. Uh, We've given away 3,840 blessing bags on Saturday morning to individuals. Come on now. We've packed with school supplies to those kids that are less fortunate 1,360 backpacks over the last couple of years. Right, everyone? Valerie and her team have served 1,920 sack lunches. How many know that's a lot of lunches, right everybody? But what we can't measure is all that we've done to give to other outside agencies that are right here in our community so that together we could partner. I spoke to you about partnership last week, how we can partner with local agencies and and not only just ministries, but other agencies that are trying to make our valley a better place. Even people like the police department, come on, and the fire department and those that are doing a better job in feeding and those that are doing a better job and sheltering, that we don't need to reinvent the wheel, but we can come along and be a source of hope and partnership to those agencies that we are doing. Can I get an amen on that, everybody? We don't share this a lot, and we don't share a lot of information about this, but we have invested in other churches in our community, those that might be in a tough time, those that maybe we've sent them uh, their pastors away on retreats and different things like that. We continue to invest in our community with days like Feed the Multitudes, because those recovery centers, they can't put on a big Thanksgiving feast, but we can put on a big Thanksgiving feast. Come on, everybody. And we can bring buses to the recovery centers and pick them up, and you say, Ken, why? Why do they need to be picked up? Because many of them have lost their licenses through different things they've done, and, and they're riding their bicycle. Have you seen all the bicycle collections here on Sunday? They're chained up so much by the back door back there, I can't even get in the place sometimes. Uh, and how many know? Some days it's cold, and some day it's raining. And there's a bus we have just sitting here on a Saturday. Why not? Come on, let's use our our gifts for the glory of God. Can I get an amen in this house today? So number one is we invest right here in the community that we live in. Number two is we have to recognize we're a part of something bigger than just ourselves, and so we invest in uh, what we call our national lane. And uh, we've done a lot here. This would take me too much time to explain, but let me give you a couple highlights. We continue to rescue those children that have been abused and left behind by the cult leader, uh, Warren Jeffs, in in Colorado City. Uh, Many of you followed that news story. The governor, literally of Arizona, literally came to my pastor and said, we're gonna give you the keys to the city. Would you please help us? And the Dream Center there in Colorado City, they took over all the properties of Warren Jeff, and now they are Dream Centers where young women and young children are being rescued and rehabbed and given job, uh, opportunities to learn a job. Come on, everybody. Yeah. 75% of that city was women and children under the age of 18 with no schooling and no way to earn a living. But now we've got industry coming in there. We've got different organizations coming in there. The schools have been opened back up. The Dream Center has helped be a part of putting in a new mayor in that town and a new chief of police in that town. And people are being rescued for the glory of God. Come on, I wish somebody would say amen. And so we partner to help the Dream Center there in Colorado City, and they're bringing children hope. Matter of fact, Luke and Angel Barnett will be with us next uh, next year in February, just to kind of give us an update. Uh, many of you have gone there on missions trips and helped and built and worked and invested, and uh, so they'll be here to give us an update. Not only that, but we invest in the Los Angeles Dream Center, the very original Dream Center. It's a hospital that's a city block, big, 15 stories in every story. Story is somebody that's recovering either runaway teens or those it's the biggest uh, rescue of sex trafficking in America your faithfulness and giving has invested in that and only heaven will tell the story of what little part we've played to help in the recovery of people's lives can I get an amen come on now And so uh, Pastor Tommy will be back with us again next year, and he'll share some more about the Los Angeles Dream Center. Uh, uh, We've invested over $50,000 in the Colorado Dream Center, and we continue to assist church planters all over America because the largest amount of people that are giving their life to Christ in America are doing so through new churches that are 10 years old or younger. How many know that's good soil? You, because of your faithfulness and giving. Since we've opened our doors, we've invested $125,000 in church planters to plant churches all over America. Come on now. And, and we've been given it's great to have Mark home I know Susan is traveling this weekend but Mark one of our very own he went off to start a refresh, soul, a refresh soul to help pastors because during the pandemic we recognized that it was literally a pandemic that pastors were resigning and pastors were committing suicide and we felt God put it on our heart that we were uniquely put in a place where we could bring them in and refresh their soul and, and Mark and Susan went out and launched this, and to date, he's going to give you a report soon, but they've had over a hundred pastors come through their doors uh, for these retreats where they've refreshed them and rekindled the fire in their lives. Come on, everybody. And so I'm making the commitment that we're going to continue to pour into that because a healthy pastor makes a healthy congregation and a healthy congregation helps make a healthy community. And in a healthy community, anything can happen. Can I get an amen? All right, everybody? And then thirdly, we invest right here in our own walls of the church. Uh, We don't always make it about us, but this offering accelerates the vision that we share here. And this year, some of it will go. Uh, We're going to go into remodeling phase number two. Uh, We got some rooms to knock out to increase seating. But we need to outfit our youth room with technology so they can come there and do homework. And so uh, just a number of things. Uh, Even we need to update our children's facility um and, and just things like that and 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 we were able to purchase this building as a five-year-old baby church come on because of legacy offerings and because of being good stewards with what you have already given come on isn't that great everybody? our trustees steward the finances in such a way that for the five years of our church in fact we didn't even come to you and ask you for building pledges we just went and took the finances that you're already given come on and we went and purchased the building come on everybody i think that's the way it ought to work you're already giving and so we ought to be good stewards in fact if you've never been to next steps i won't give you the whole financial plan but we take the first 10 percent of every dollar that comes in and we send it to another ministry Because I can't stand up here and talk to you about God will bless you if you tithe if we don't tithe as an organization. Come on now. Come on. I believe one of the reasons that Radius Church is prospering in a time where churches are stalling out. I believe that one of the reasons that Radius accelerated during the COVID pandemic is because we've always given 10% back to the work of God. And God said, if you'll do that, test me in this and see if I won't open the windows of heaven. Right, everybody? Come on now. And then we put 10% in savings plus our margin and all of that. So this year, we have some major projects to do around here. But I want you to know this before I get into the Scripture part of the message today. We have given away in the five years, not obviously not including this year's legacy, we will uh, uh, give some more away this year. But we have given away so far before our six-year anniversary, we have given away as of this Sunday $334,000 and 21 cents. Can I get an amen? That's what we've given away. Now, now I know most people don't get up and brag about what we've given away, but the Bible says that a generous man will prosper. And as long as we continue to be generous, God can't help but keep his word and continue to prosper us. And I want him to prosper us, everybody. Come on now. So one of my favorite history makers in scripture is a man by the name of Elijah. Anybody ever heard of him? Anybody know Elijah? Can I see your hands? Uh, All right. All right. Well, let me introduce you to him. In fact, for the rest of the message, I only have two points. Aren't you glad? (laughs) Just two points, two points from Elijah's life today that I think will resonate as we talk about being a history maker and we talk about our legacy and what we're going to leave behind. You see, some of us, we're planting seeds. Some of you have been with Patty and I from the very beginning and we started planting seeds. And we didn't know if we'd see any fruit yet. But some of us are planting seeds and only our children and grandchildren will enjoy the fruit and sit under the shade of the trees that we're growing even right now. And Elijah was one of those kind of people. And so two lessons from today. I want to talk to you about setbacks and I want to talk to you about sacrifice. I won't, I won't take a lot of time on either one, but first of all, let's talk about setbacks. Because when we talk about legacy, and particularly when the pastor starts talking a little bit about money and about doing something above and beyond, it's real easy. How many then, when we're challenged to pray about doing something, how many then all of a sudden realize, ooh, we're in bad economic times? Oh, yeah. And we start thinking, wait a minute, Ken, we're in a setback. I understand what I'm asking, and I understand that we are in an unstable time in our history. I understand that inflation is unstable and interest rates are crazy. But aren't we always in unstable financial times? Even when the interest rates are low and even when the economy is flowing, aren't we always in unstable economic conditions? Come on. Come on, either our rock is Jesus or our rock is our bank. How many know what I'm talking about, right? We're always in unstable times. Our security is not in that. And in 1 Kings chapter number 17, you want to talk about a recession. You want to talk about unstable times. They were living in a time where they depended on their harvest. And they were living in a time where they had a, they, at the point where I'm going to pick up the story, they had had three and a half years without rain, three-and-a-half years without harvest, and and three-and-a-half years under an ungodly government. Hmm. I'm not going to say anything right there, all (laughs) right? First Kings chapter number 17. Let's pick the story up right in the middle, and here's what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Him is Elijah. And I want you to notice these first couple words in verse number 9. The word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath. Okay, now hold on. I just want to put the text into context. Now, uh, there's, there's this drought that's been happening for three and a half years, but God had Elijah in a spot where he was personally giving him some water and he was personally feeding him. In other words, God was personally taking care of all of his needs. And how many know when your needs are being taken care of, you can get real comfortable? Isn't it interesting what God does when we get comfortable? He says, okay, time to get up and go somewhere else. Isn't that how God does? Am I talking to anybody, right? And he says, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. What a prima donna he is, right? (laughs) And it goes on and it says, and as she was going to get it, he called to her. Now watch this story. Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now remember, they haven't had rain in three and a half years. But he wants a cup of water. He wants to take an offering in a time when the, oh, re- uh, sorry, sorry, I, I, I got ahead of myself. Here, here we go. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, now she's mad at God too because of what the pastor was saying, mm-hmm. I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and that we may die. Whoa. She's having a bad day. And then it goes on to say, and Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. first. <sighs> because order determines outcome. Make it first. Some of us are on our way to heaven, but we still haven't learned how to put God first in all things. Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things that we're worried about, they will be added unto us. God has sent Elijah to this widow so that she can learn how to get her financial house in order by putting God first in her financial matters. Come on, everybody. Right. Okay. If you don't believe me yet, let's keep on working this out. And bring it to me, and afterwards make some for yourself and your son. So he's promising there will be some left over for you. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel... All right, there's more to that, but for the sake of time, let me just jump into what the elephant in the room was. Can anybody agree with me how arrogant and self-centered of Elijah to go to a widow in a time of drought and ask her for a cup of water and ask her to bake him some bread, come on, when they were getting ready to eat some wonder bread and die. How many know what I'm saying, right? And, and, and she's got one meal left, and Elijah says, give it to me first. mm, mm. mm. And that doesn't make any sense. And we would be mad if Pastor Elijah would have the audacity to ask us to give in a time of recession. And I declare that it is during a time of recession that it is the best time to invest into the kingdom work. Come on, everybody. Because there, God makes a promise back to you that we're not going to get from any other place. Because we need God's protection and we need God's blessing over our finances. Would anybody agree with me on that? Here's what's interesting about this story. Follow this. You can ignore me after this statement. You can ignore me the rest of the time. But here's what's interesting to me. That God sent Elijah to a poor widow, not a millionaire. Mm -hmm. See you guys next Sunday. (laughs) I want you to think about that. God sent Elijah to a poor widow that's on her last dollar, her last cup of water, her last bite of bread. He could have sent Elijah, if he was trying to provide for Elijah, he could have sent Elijah to a millionaire. But he didn't send Elijah to a millionaire. And here's the lesson I want you to see. God did not send Elijah to the widow for the widow to provide for Elijah. God sent Elijah to the widow so that God could provide for the widow. Mm -hmm. You can watch that on Rewind later on YouTube, everybody. See, that's what people miss. God is giving her an opportunity to put her finances and her needs in biblical order so that she would be able to witness a miracle. Most people miss the miracle because of the order. He said, take what you have and make God first, not your leftover. Because order, come on, determines outcome. I know you've heard me say it a million times, but Jim hit the car. Same words, rearranged in a different order. The car hit Jim. How many know those are major different outcomes, right? And it's all predicated upon the order. And so, how can we ever expect God to do a miracle in our finances if we don't put God first? Now, hold on. Let's back this story up a little bit, because I hate getting accused of being after your money. I'm not after your money, but God is after our heart. Mm -hmm. And and so here's what I want you to see in the story. God didn't God wasn't trying to provide for Elijah. And so, oh, the only person I could find that's available is this poor little widow that's been praying for God to come through. No, no, no. That's not the story at all. God was already providing for Elijah. Come on, he had a a little condo up on the hill with a little brook flowing through it. Everybody else didn't have water, but Elijah had water. And everybody else is struggling with what to eat, but I'm telling you, Elijah had a raven bringing him meat and bread, everybody. It's the original Uber Eats. Are you hearing what I'm saying? (laughs) He was set. He was good. Literally in the shade drinking lemonade. Literally. Watch. 1 Kings chapter number 17. I want you to see it. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook that nobody else had. I mean, this guy had a hookup, right? But God called him out of his comfort zone. Not because he needed it, but because she needed it. God was already providing for Elijah. And by the way, that wasn't the end of it. God was going to provide for Elijah in the future. Check this out. 1 Kings chapter number 19. We're a whole chapter ahead. Check it out. He looked around, Elijah, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals. Come on, that's provision right there. And a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he laid down again. I mean, this guy's got it made, right, everyone? God didn't need the woman's money. He wanted to bless her, so he gave her an opportunity to live by faith. He gave her an opportunity to be a history maker, and she became such a history maker that we're still talking about her thousands of years later. Are you hearing that today? And I want to say God does want to bless you. And and by the way, here's a neat little part of the story, and then I'll do my last point. A neat little part of the story, it's a good thing that she learned how to trust God at that level because she was going to need God not many pages into it at this level. See, it was good that she learned to trust God at the 399 level because in a few pages what she didn't know is her son was going to die. And she had to build her faith way back there on the pediatrics of faith so that she could at least have enough faith. She didn't have to stir up some faith. See, God was helping her get her faith ready by asking for a little cup of water. Come on. Maybe God's trying to get your faith ready by saying, hey, how can I be a part? How can I serve? How can I give? What can I do? Maybe God's getting your faith ready because He knows there's something greater waiting that we will never see on this level if we don't obey on this level. Come on, everybody. Watch. First Kings 17. First Kings 17. The, her little boy died. But now she has a relationship with the man of God. Yeah. And the man of God comes and he lays, it's it's a weird story, but the, the, the little boy it, he he comes back to life. L- let me just say this: giving your first always protects and provides. It always protects and provides. It always protects. And it always provides when we make God first in our finances. And I I know these are tough messages because people always get mad at me when I preach on these things. People always get mad at me when I preach about putting God first in your finances. It's interesting because nobody ever gets mad at me when I preach, put God first in your marriage. Mm -hmm. Oh, the church is just after my money. I know Walmart's after your money too, but you're not boycotting them. Right, everybody? Come on now. You're hearing what I'm saying today. I know you've heard this verse, and maybe this verse has been used to manipulate and abuse you. But Malachi says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Why? So there can be food in my house. And God says, trust me on this. He says, trust. It's the only place in scripture where he says, prove me. I, I dare you to prove me. He says, take the whole tithe. Tithe means 10%. Bring it into the storehouse. Where's the storehouse? The storehouse is the place that we get fed. Come on now. It's the place we get fed. And, and he says, test me in this. Why? So there will be food in my house. We're talking about doing something for legacy so we can help people put food in their house that otherwise wouldn't everybody. And and those girls that are being rescued aren't ever going to know your name and never going to come and say thank you to you. But one day you're going to walk across heaven's gate and heaven is going to applaud because you are a history maker, everybody, right? Ten. Why ten? Let me give you this real quick and I'll do my last little point. Why ten? Tithing. What tithing is ten percent? People ask me this question a lot. It means bringing ten percent of your income back to God. Why ten? Because the number ten represents the whole. Have you ever noticed this about math? If you can count to 10, you can count to anything. 10 represents the whole. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. When you get to 10, it represents the whole because when you get to 10, you start over again. 1, 1, 1, 2, 1, 3. 2, 1, 2, 2, 2, 3. 3, 1, 3, 2, 3, 3. Come on. You guys following me? So, So if you can count to 10, you can count to a million. And God is saying, if you'll bring me 10, come on. It's like you're bringing it all back to me. And God shows up at the place of sacrifice that's where he shows up let's talk about sacrifices we end today you guys still with me take a deep breath we're gonna get through this first Kings chapter number 18 for the sake of time let me just paraphrase this verse this is a crazy cool story I would challenge you to go read it because now here Elijah is and he's moved from this little brook and now God says I want you to go and I want you to challenge this evil king that is in power and all of his prophets In fact, I want you to go up the mountain, and I I just want to prove myself, and and I want you to challenge all those false prophets. I want them to build an altar and offer an ox or a bull, and I want you to build an altar and offer an ox and a bull and tell all those false prophets, whatever God answers with fire, let it be known that he's the real God. Anybody heard this story somewhere along your life? Look, let me just read some of it. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response and there was no answer. When I was a young youth pastor, I preached this sermon, and I had an altar built all at the front, and I had some kid that was experimenting with pyrotechs that really wanted to be used of God, and I had him build me like a little fire pot in there and a little secret button, and when I said, God, let your fire come down, I could step on it, and the whole place went up in flames. How I mean, know oh, there was a move of God right then, right? <laughs> So they took the bull given to them. Give me my next verses on that section. And they danced around the altar that they had made. I mean, they're screaming out. At noon, Elijah, look at Elijah. That's a bad dude right there. That is a bad dude. Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he's in deep thought. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's traveling. Don't you love Elijah? Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Come on. It's interesting, they can make fun of our God. Oh, never mind, I can't go there. So so then it's his turn to call on his God. Now this is the part of the story I love. And this is the part of the story that for so many years I missed. And this is the part of the story that I don't want you to miss. Because check this out, it was his turn. Their God Baal failed, no fire. Elijah's over here. He's building his altar. He arranged the wood. He cut the bull into pieces. And he laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering. What? He's really going to rub it in, isn't he? Your God didn't even answer. Check out what my God's going to do. We're going to saturate this thing. We're going to put so much water on it that it would be impossible for God to light the fire. And so they went and got the water. It's a whole dramatic thing. You can read about it. They poured the water on the sacrifice. God, Elijah stepped up and said, God, now let it be known that you are the true God. And fire came down, and the Bible says it licked up the offering, it licked up the wood, it licked up the dust and all the water, it licked it all up. And I think, man, this is such an incredible, crazy, powerful story. I love it. And I used to think, that's just how God is. He likes to show up, and he likes to show off. Yeah. And I used to think, Why did he do the water? I thought maybe the water was just to enhance the power of the miracle. You know what I'm talking about, everybody? It's like, whoo, he even, could you see him going home after church going, wow, we had a move of God today in church, everybody. God came down in fire, and he even dried up the water. Can you see? I mean, it just sounds like, wow, that's what really happened. And I used to think that Elijah had him pour the water on there to make the miracle bigger. But how many know when God moves, he doesn't need us to make the miracle bigger? And what God showed me is that I'll always show up at the place of sacrifice. What he showed me was that the bull was not the sacrifice. The water was the sacrifice. Because there were bulls running all over the place. As a matter of fact, there were some thirsty bulls and some skinny bulls. So it was easy to kill a bull. But it wasn't easy to get water because they were in a time of recession. So he wasn't giving them the opportunity to give their leftover skinny, droughted cow. He wanted them to go get the thing that was precious to them and pour it out before God. Because God wanted to show up and show off at the place of sacrifice. Can I get an amen on that today? we got to quit giving God our leftovers Is he first in our life? Well, that's kind of a rhetorical question for you today This is the first day of the week And here you sit in the first service You're making him first But is he first in your time? Is he the first in your finances? Is he the first one you go to? Is he first? I end with this That God will always show up at the place of sacrifice. So I'm gonna ask you a real bold, direct question. I think after almost six years I've earned the right, or hopefully I've learned or earned your trust by now, to ask you this question. What and when are you willing to sacrifice? Not because the church needs your water, but because God wants to move in your life. Amen, everybody? Would you receive that today? I'm going to end it right there. And by the way, we will never individually or corporately ever be history makers without coming to the intersection of the place of sacrifice. We'll never do it. All over this place, would you stand with me? I want to pray with you. before.